It's nine after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News. The phone number 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Heavy showers uh, west of the city in the Carroll County area and some scattered showers in the Athens, Georgia area. I mentioned that because I have a guest who's over that way this afternoon, the future governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp. Welcome. How are you? Hey, great, Eric. Good to be on with you. So, congratulations on the Trump endorsement. Oh, thanks so much. We're very excited about that. Obviously, you know, really this whole week has been fantastic, just feeding off of the current momentum that we had, and the Trump endorsement was like pouring gasoline on the fire. You, you know, so I just gave an, an interview with a reporter who's asking me, what, what does my gut say? And um, my gut says that when one candidate named Kemp is closing with a, a positive ad and the other candidate is closing with attack, 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 it, it must mean the polling is not going in favor of the person who's attacking. Well, I think that was pretty obvious from really the Tuesday after Memorial Day, which was one week after the primary when the attack ad started so we were seeing the well i'll say this i felt like on the ground that the momentum was on our side then then and that we were closing because we had such a great surge there primary night and a couple of weeks leading up to may 22nd but then when we started getting the attack ads literally you know a week after the primary and it's a nine-week runoff i thought man we're it's going to be a rough nine weeks, but we must be doing good. And then we got our poll back, and we had tied him, and we've been, you know, surging ever since. And the last public poll we saw, I guess it was last Friday, the AJC had us up by 3, 43, 40. Um, you know, we were seeing internals that had us up 45, 40. And then, of course, the Fox 5 poll came out today. But we still have a lot of work ahead of us. You know, the real polls on Tuesday, and we're working hard. Well, so one of the big issues that is circulating in this race is the trust issue. Uh, the Clay Tippins audio, I, I definitely think, has had an impact. And I, I was reminded uh, this afternoon of a headline that, that involved me indirectly from, from August of 2015. Ahead of Red State meeting, the big uh, deal I had here in, in 2015, Jeb Bush picks up endorsement from Casey Cagle. Uh, and I just in in light of the the ad that's attacking you for not being sufficiently supportive of the president and your opponent being the the true Trump guy, I'd totally forgotten he had actually endorsed Jeb Bush. Oh yeah, absolutely he has, and he's been running from that fact for a very long time now, and quite honestly, trying to fool Republican primary voters with that, saying that you know I supported other candidates that were in the race and. If anybody knows, you certainly do, um, that I stayed out of the SEC primary. I said early on that I stayed out because I was trying to get all the presidential candidates on the Republican side to Georgia so Georgia Republicans could have an impact in the race. I I literally worked on this for 30 years, trying to put it together, working with my colleagues in other states. And I was actually the first person in Georgia to invite Donald Trump to come down and visit our state. I offered to, you know, take him around for a day, and we were actually working on that when the Charleston shooting happened, that tragic event. It ended up rescheduling everything, and he wasn't able to make the date that we set. And then, you know, he ended up 
after that, he didn't need any help to come to Georgia, certainly. <laughs> he uh, did some huge rallies here. But I will say this, you know, I, I invited every candidate to the state convention. I worked that hard. We ended up getting three candidates, Ted Cruz, um, Rubio, and Chris Christie, to come to the convention in Athens, which was unprecedented. Um, you know, I helped facilitate that. Uh, Party Chairman John Padgett and I worked on that. I attended events for I did the same thing for Carly Fiorina. I attended a, an event when she caught fire, had a day for her here beforehand. I went to a Ted Cruz event. I touted how Ted Cruz was doing a bus tour around the state. You know, I had uh, Kasich speak at the Walton County GOP barbecue, which is one of the biggest political events on the Republican side of things of the year. And to have a you know major presidential candidate there, whether you like the guy or not, and whether you know, he did the right thing regarding the general election, which I don't think he did. You know, I was still doing what I told people I would do. And then we had, gosh, I don't even remember. Did we have like seven candidates that yeah. showed up at the red state event? Right. Yeah. And so for Cagle to be hitting me as somebody that hasn't supported the Donald Trump and, and the president. And I would add too, for conservatives out there, uh, when Donald Trump was in a delegate fight, you know, the Democrats were blaming me for helping hold his delegates. So, right. You know, he's and he's attacking me as not being a a guy that was supportive of of our president and our nominee. That's just ridiculous. But I think that's starting to backfire on him because the last ad he's showing is just you know it's way over the top. Right. I had a person today that sent me their endorsement and twenty five hundred dollar check that was going to stay out because they just said it's gone too far. Well, and you know, I I it seems like I saw some fresh Brian Kemp signs driving down West Pace's Ferry this afternoon. <laughs> well, like I said, there's been gasoline poured on the fire, so yeah, we have a lot of momentum, but we have to keep that going. We can't get lackadaisical. We got to finish the drill. You know, just like in sports, we've seen a lot of you know big comebacks in in sports, and we're not going to let that happen to us. And we're very excited about the vice president coming down Saturday afternoon to campaign with me and uh, really work the state of Georgia. It's great that we're having that, um, you know, such a great individual coming to the state. And I'm honored to have his endorsement as well as the president's. And, you know, this week as well, I received the endorsement of Hunter Hill. I mean, that was huge for us on Tuesday. We got Clay Pippins on Wednesday right before President Trump's endorsement. Newt Gingrich is uh, sometime last night. I know I woke up at Five o'clock this morning, got on my computer, and, and uh, Newt had let me know that he had tweeted that he was supporting my campaign and endorsing, and, you know, we're just working it hard. Well, listen, I am I know that there were a lot of people, and you and I have had these conversations before, who who got it in their head that, that this was all heir apparent and legacy, and, and you have, you've worked very hard to, to prove that you're your own person and, and we don't have to do dynasties and legacies in Georgia and, and people can, can vote for you. And it's just, it, it is to your credit that this is happening at the end. It, it's exciting to watch for you. And I know the Democrats are, well, Stacey Abrams has in her head that, that you're the guy she wants to run against. Uh, I've heard that from people on her campaign and I just look at them and say, that's what Casey Cagle wanted to do. Well, I'm not too worried about Stacey Abrams right now. I got to finish through 7 o'clock Tuesday night, and uh, I'd be honored to be the nominee. No one would work harder to defeat Stacey Abrams. Nobody has a better record of standing up and defeating her and her liberal friends like George Soros and other people from around the country. And uh, I have a record of standing up and fighting in those situations, and I'll certainly do 
this to to serve our state as governor but also think you know Stacey Abrams is just wrong on the issues for what Georgia needs right now and I'm looking forward to continuing to talk about my conservative four-point plan as we move into November but I, I don't really buy the the other side's rhetoric about they're better suited to be you know to beat Stacey Abrams because there's a Democratic poll that she did showing him you know ahead of me in that poll I personally think the Democrats want Cagle uh, to be the nominee because he's got more baggage than the Delta jet. <laughs> well, listen, I, I, I don't want to spend an, an entire time here. I know you've got to get to a fundraiser here in a minute, but I, but I do want to talk about you and your campaign. And if you're governor, um, when you get in there, where are you taking the state? Well, I'm going to keep it moving forward. You know, that's something, Eric, last week when we were on our bus tour, we worked you know, 37 counties. I think we did either 39 or 40 stops over seven days. Marty and the girls were on every single stop. I had to fly back for the debate one night and miss a few of them. But we have been looking people in the eye, and we have been telling them that, that, number one, I will be a governor that they can trust, that will be transparent, will do exactly what I'm saying on the campaign trail. And I think that's been a big issue. Uh, in this race, quite honestly, with the tapes that came out, you know, Casey Cagle will sell his soul for political power and, you know, trade his vote for it and try to get money off of it. And that's wrong. And if it's not criminal, it, it should be. But I've also told people that, look, as their governor, I'm going to implement my four-point plan. This race is not about, you know, just saying the great things about governor, you know, what Governor Deal has been done and trying to use that as a basis to be the, the next governor. You know, what I want to do is build off the great things that Governor Deal's done and take us to the next level, much like he did with the work that Sonny Perdue did when he was governor. And that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to make Georgia number one for small business by cutting government regulations. I can tell you right now, I just hung up with a guy before I called in uh, from Tifton, uh, and he's been driving through rural Georgia today, and he just said, man, this place is on fire down here. People are excited. They know that you're a candidate that's going to pay attention to all our state and these hardworking Georgians out here and small business folks and just folks that are getting up and doing the you know 9 to 5 or 8 to 5 or 7 to 5 or whatever it is every day. There's areas that are hurting out there, and we need a governor that's going to focus on our whole state and move the needle and help those working Georgians. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I, and I've got great experience in the Secretary of State's office of cutting regulations, streamlining processes, and despite all the lies and rhetoric, quite honestly, that you've heard in the runoff, if you talk about people that have actually been dealing with our office over the last eight and a half years since I've been there, they will tell you that our corporate filing system has never worked better at setting records. I can ter- office, verify that. Yeah. I mean, you know, we have a, an app now where, you know, military and overseas voters for the first time ever can get their ballot delivered electronically. They can register to vote on that phone. Anyone can, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You know, thing, things like that, we have moved the needle. We have privatized old, antiquated state systems that are better. They have better cybersecurity. They have saved millions of dollars for the taxpayers. Those are not stories that most news organizations are going to write about. You know, they're going to write about one or two things that happens to you. Most of the times, they don't even get the facts right on that. But we are, you know, I am proud of that record of, of 
doing what Republicans always talk about, streamlining government, making it more efficient, making it smaller, reorganizing. It is Eric Erickson here. I've got Brian Kemp, the Secretary of State, on the line with me for another couple of minutes before he has to head into a fundraiser in Athens. Uh, Brian, listen, before you get out of here, I, I really just want to turn the microphone over to you. You've got a very large audience right now, and I want you to be able to just directly make your pitch uh, to the people who are stuck on 285 and have nowhere else to go. So you got a captured audience. Well, thanks again for having me on, Eric. And I, I was kind of going through what I was going to do as governor. And the third, the third point is really, well, I guess I was, yeah, I was, I was getting to the third, second point, I guess, about reforming state government, how we spend tax and operate where we can lower taxes, budget conservatively, and really do a lot of those things like the streamlining that I was talking about in the Secretary of State's office. We've got to focus on all areas of our state, as I mentioned, when you think about high-speed Internet to access to everyone out there in our state, no matter what their zip code is, great economic or any economic opportunities in some of the areas around the state. But focusing on that, especially in rural Georgia, where we have a severe problem of that access to quality health care, and just and just innovate quite honestly where we can do virtual medicine telemedicine you know virtual classrooms be somebody that's going to just take us from where we are and move us forward but i think the last point is really what our bus tour you know before the may 22nd primary the bus tour last week and what we're going to be doing this weekend uh that thankfully will include a, a rally with the vice president is all about putting Georgians first, you know, putting them first over the special interest, the status quo, the politically correct, and those that are here illegally, making sure that our families are safe. You know, Marty and I have three teenage daughters. You know, the guy, a sheriff I know, sent me some pictures today about a big drug bust they had that was from a drug cartel and, and involved gang members last night in our state. That's happening literally every week. I've developed two plans to do public safety reform, building off of what Governor Deal's done with criminal justice reform to keep our families safe, to give law enforcement the tools that they need to go after these folks, our track and deport criminal illegals, stopping and dismantling gangs. But also it's just my commitment and what we talked about earlier on trust that you got to have somebody in the governor's office that you can trust when nobody's watching to do the right thing. And I think anybody that you will talk to that I worked with when I was in the legislature for just two terms before returning home, eight and a half years as Secretary of State, and over 30 years in the private sector now, riding the highs and the lows uh, of recessions and bad breaks and dumb mistakes that, you know, I've made as a person that I've grown on, grown from. I mean, that is part of you know, being a guy that's willing to risk everything he's got to be an entrepreneur and start a business with a pickup truck and a shovel. And hardworking Georgians do that every day. And I've got a record of being trustful and trying to do the right thing when no one's watching. And I think that's what I want people to know as they go in there and vote, is that they'll have somebody that even if we don't disagree with an issue, you will know that I have thought it out well and I have done what I feel like is principally best for our state and that I will work with others to do so. And I'd be honored to have their vote and support. 
either tomorrow as uh, early voting resumes the last day or on Tuesday. Well, listen, thank you for taking the time to stop by. Uh, Good luck this final week on the campaign trail. Congrats again on all the major endorsements, and I definitely think the momentum is headed in your way. And uh, look forward to, well, I'm looking more and more forward to the general election and and your future in the governor's mansion, assuming you get there, which I actually think will probably happen. So (laughs) I just I'm glad to have you here and, and glad to see you doing well on the campaign trail. Thanks so much, Eric. Y'all have a good day. You too. Take care. Brian Kemp, uh, coming from Athens, Georgia, where he is for a fundraiser. Um, I just, y'all, I just, I like the guy. Um, I do. And and I, I, I would be happy with either of these two guys as the nominee. Uh, we have two good candidates as nominee. Um, but Brian has been a, a friend of mine for a number of years. I think he's been a great Secretary of State, and I just look forward to to seeing this thing play out. Uh, now, I do have some gossip from folks close to the White House on how he got the president's endorsement. He and his campaign didn't expect it. They were on a conference call with Clay Tippins when members of his staff began cheering and jumping up and down at looking at their phones uh, seeing the president's tweet had mentioned Brian Kemp, and they looked, and it was an endorsement. Uh, while they were on the phone having a conversation with Clay Tippins in the campaign office, uh, they were not expecting it. They did not know they were caught off guard. I am told um, by a very re- highly reliable person uh, familiar with the thinking uh, uh, how this happened, and it will make a lot of sense to you how it happened. Uh, given just what you know about the president and what you know about what's happening on the ground in Georgia. Uh, I will take you through what I was told as to how this endorsement played out. And now we'll see the vice president in Macon on Saturday for Brian Kemp. Thirty-nine after the hour. I am Eric Erickson, and this is WSB. We're going to open the phone lines now. The phone number is 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. So here's what I heard. I was actually sitting in the Intercontinental Hotel last night. Had to stay in town last night. Had some meetings today. Filled in for Herman. Got a dinner tonight. Had a dinner last night. Was was sitting at the hotel. And a phone rang, knew it was someone close to the White House. Uh, I'd been trying to figure out what the heck, because nobody nobody knew. No, nobody had any information on how the president endorsed Kemp. Um, and I reached out to a few different people who I knew might know. Uh, one of them is fairly certain what happened is an individual whose name uh, I wasn't even given. I, it was implied it was a particular person. Um, largely because I said, was it this person? And their response led me to believe it was or lack thereof of response. Nonetheless, um, so two things happened. The Cagle campaign has been running an ad. Now, remember, Cagle supported Jeb Bush. Uh, Cagle was a Bush supporter. Kemp, as Secretary of State, stayed out of it. He helped everybody. Uh, as, as he mentioned on the radio, he was he did stuff with Rubio, did stuff with Trump, did stuff with Cruz, did stuff with Fiorina, uh, Kasich, Bush, you name it. He, he was glad to, to open doors for all of them, uh, which he did. He, Cagle endorsed Bush. And so 
Uh, Cagle has been running what, as one of his last-minute ads, an attack on Brian Kemp, uh, basically saying Kemp helped John Kasich in 2016 and that uh, Cagle was the Trump guy. Well, I'm told that didn't go over so well with the president because it was not only was it implying that the um, that that Casey Cagle had gotten an endorsement from President Trump, but that uh, Brian Kemp had supported John Kasich, which I mean, the president remembered the help that Brian Kemp had given him trying to come into Georgia and meet people. So he knew that wasn't true. Um, the second thing uh, that weighed actually even more on it than the Cagle ad is that Brian Kemp organized the SEC primary. Now, Brian Kemp came up with the idea of getting all the southern states together um, at the very earliest possible opportunity in March of 2016 to have a huge, huge primary where all the states that have SEC football teams uh, would also have their ballots on the same day. So you wouldn't have Georgia in July where it didn't really matter. You wouldn't have Louisiana in um, in April where it didn't really matter. They would all be on the same page. It would make the South, which is where the bulk of the Republican Party base is. It would make it much more influential in the processes of picking the Republican nominee. And Kemp was able to get buy-in. Uh, he got buy-in from Alabama. He got buy-in from Mississippi, I believe. He got buy-in, I think, from Louisiana and Texas. Um, I mean, he got most of the SEC states to go along with his idea, and it was his idea, and they all gave him credit, and President Trump swept through those southern states in the SEC primary, and it became obvious that the momentum was was with him. It became obvious that uh, the nomination was headed his way unless somebody acted quick. Uh, and it became obvious that uh, some of the other candidates uh, had no, no support. And the president has long believed it was that sweep of the South in 2016 that really helped him get the nomination. So you put these two together. You've got a guy telling the president that Casey Cagle is running an ad. He was a Jeb Bush supporter, and he's running an ad claiming he's your guy. And he's running that ad against the man who organized the SEC primary and opened doors for you in Georgia. And it was a no-brainer thereafter for the president to hop on Twitter and endorse Brian Kemp. That is what I am told happened um, by someone who would know. And so this is a this is a big deal for the Kemp campaign. I, I got to tell you, look, we're not to the election on Tuesday. Um, there is an I believe it's eleven alive. Let me. Let me pull this up real quick. Um, there is another poll out in the Georgia race. Uh, I believe it is them, and it has a a pretty significant lead for uh, Brian Kemp in this race. Uh, I know where I can. I know where I can find this Instagram because somebody I follow put up a screenshot of the poll, and I want to make sure I get the numbers right. Um, a member of the state legislature that I follow. Uh, yes, here we go. Georgia governor, Republican runoff. Uh, it's it's not 11 Live. It's Fox 5. Uh, Fox 5 opinion savvy poll. Margin of error, 4.5%. Brian Kemp at 55%. Casey Cagle at 37%. Now, you know, as I said earlier, I, I can believe this because the Kemp campaign's closing argument is attack, 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 attack. I mean, his final ad is not a vote for me. I'm Casey Cagle, rainbows and unicorns. It is Brian Kemp is evil. Stop Brian Kemp. Brian Kemp is bad. 
paid for by Casey Cagle. I, 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 this, this isn't. That's not what a winning campaign does. It's what a campaign does that's trying to to shift momentum in the last week of the race. And by the way, early voting has been going on now for a while. And the number one issue for a lot of those voters is trust. And a lot of undecided voters who are waiting until the end, their number one issue is who does the president support because they want to vote for that guy. So all of those trend lines move in the direction of the campaign. But there's one other issue we genuinely, truly need to discuss about this campaign And I genuinely believe it is the most decisive factor in where the trajectory of this campaign is in these final couple of weeks of the campaign. Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank. And it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the Internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked with all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy no matter what you do online your mobile carrier internet service providers they're tracking you doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company wherever you're getting your internet from you're probably being tracked with ExpressVPN your internet data is encrypted your IP address is hidden ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month it's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk, so don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's 54 after the hour. I am Eric Erickson. This is WSB. Um, This needs to be said about the Kegel-Kemp campaign, and this, I think, is the fundamental mistake that the Cagle campaign made, whether or not they lose, even if they win, um, which appears less and less likely, the Cagle mistake made this fundamental mistake. They got too clever by half and decided that instead of running about Casey Cagle, they would shape the field of their opponent. And it's been a big uh, dream of candidates ever since Claire McCaskill was able to push Todd Akin uh, through the Republican primary by treating him as if he was the nominee. People went and voted for him, and every Republican consultant got in their head that, hey, we can we can pick our opponent by doing these sorts of things. And what the Cagle campaign decided to do is they decided to attack uh, Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins. And in going on the warpath against Hunter Hill and Clay Tippins, they decided to essentially become the managers of campaigns that were not the Casey Cagle campaign. Instead of just focusing on building Casey Cagle up, they they got to, I mean, you can say it's arrogance, you can say whatever, 
but they decided to play strategist to shape their opponent instead of making the case for their guy. They wanted to shape the field, and they wanted to get Brian Kemp, and so they got Brian Kemp. But what did they also get by getting Brian Kemp? They also got uh, enmity from Clay Tippins, who has essentially become the kingmaker. Uh, it is he, Brian Kemp is where he is in large part because Clay Tippins released the audio of, of Casey Cagle showing that Casey Cagle uh, backed something he thought was terrible public policy because he wanted to hurt Hunter Hill. That audio and going after Hunter Hill combined to get Hunter Hill and a lot of Hunter Hill supporters going to Brian Kemp. People voted in the primary for the guy they really liked. Most of those people got mad that their guys were attacked. And now those guys and the supporters who were mad they were attacked shifted to Brian Kemp. That was the big mistake the Kegel campaign made. It's 8 after the hour. I'm Eric Erickson. This is Atlanta's Evening News on WSB. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. You can also get me on social media at EW Erickson. Uh, Also, if you missed the Brian Kemp interview and you want to listen to the Brian Kemp interview, text the word SHOW to 444-999. Text the word SHOW to 444-999. We will have the interview with Brian Kemp loaded here in an hour or so. Um, I want to move into national news and the situation with the Mueller indictment of Paul Manafort. They are proceeding to criminal trial. They have given immunity to five people to testify against Manafort. I have told you guys all along that I really believed, and I think the evidence shows, that the Russians, they weren't out to get Donald Trump elected as people on the left believe. I mean, this has become mythology on the left. They believe that Hillary Clinton was denied her election by the Russians. It's part of the Brooklyn bubble. Um, what, What happened, what occurred is that the Russians decided to intervene, play in the American election, and they organized protests for Hillary Clinton, and they organized protests against Hillary Clinton. They organized protests for Donald Trump. They organized protests against Donald Trump. They used Facebook to set up pro-Hillary groups, pro-Bernie groups, pro-Trump groups. Uh, They spread misinformation, um, and they did apparently try to hack into various um, voter registration databases. There is no evidence at all that they impacted the election. There is no evidence at all that they were successfully able to alter data. There's no evidence at all that they were able to change the outcome of the election by hacking into electronic voting machines. There, there is no evidence of any of that. Um, but the Democrats are peddling this mythology. They're peddling the mythology that the Russians stole the election. First it was James Comey, then it was the Russians. Uh, Now some of them are saying, well, it was all of the above. Uh, What none of them want to say is that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. Hillary Clinton, the Hillary who didn't go to Wisconsin, the Hillary who didn't go to Michigan when the polls were clearly shifting there, the Hillary Clinton who didn't go to Western Pennsylvania. Uh, They would rather blame – and you do need to understand – and listen, I I don't mean to be insensitive here. I I don't mean to sound 
uh, harsh or bad or, or adrophobic uh, to the term. This is just a reality, and more than one Democratic strategist has said it. I've been in the room when one of them did. Robbie Mook was Hillary Clinton's campaign manager. He was a, a young gay man who lived in Brooklyn, and the Democrats were delighted that Hillary's campaign was so diverse that she had a gay campaign manager. She would be the first woman president, and they decided to mobilize Brooklyn to win the election. Last I checked, Brooklyn is not the United States of America, but they got into a Brooklyn bubble where they only went out and they they, they wanted people who looked like them. They wanted um, gay millennials and women and black voters and Hispanic voters and, and secular voters, and they completely ignored blue-collar white voters. Bill Clinton was yelling at them that they were going to lose because they were ignoring blue-collar white voters. They were ignoring the middle class, and they didn't want to believe the old man. But it's true. That is why Hillary Clinton is not president. Her campaign was arrogant and decided they only wanted people who looked like them. And they had enough of those people that they didn't need to build a coalition of others. And she lost. The Russians were just trying to get us to fight with each other. You and I both know that if Hillary Clinton had won, there would be people on the right demanding an investigation into Russia helping Hillary win. There would be. Because the Russians were helping them all and the Russians were attacking them all. The Russians just wanted us to not uh, support the validity of the American political institutions. So now we go full circle to Rob Bob Mueller and his investigation and his prosecution of Paul Manafort. And one of the names that appears over and over and over and over in the evidence that will be used against Paul Manafort. I want to read you a paragraph And this, by the way, this is such an example of bias. I'm going to read you one, two, three, four paragraphs from the Washington Post from today. Pictures of Paul Manafort's homes, cars, $21,000 watch and high-end clothing may be displayed for jurors at his trial beginning in Alexandria Federal Court next week, according to a list of nearly 500 potential exhibits published by prosecutors Wednesday evening. The court filing offers a look at the types of evidence the special counsel investigating Russian interference in the 2016 election may use against Manafort, who is accused of bank and tax fraud. There will be photographs of the putting green at his home in the Hamptons, the clothes he bought from bespoke suit makers Alan Couture and House of Bijang, and his $21,000 titanium Bijang watch. There will be records of the hundreds of thousands of dollars he spent at a rug store in Old Town, Alexandria, and his season tickets to the New York Yankees. There will also be email communication between Manafort, President Trump's former campaign manager, campaign chairman rather, and Tad Devine, a Democratic consultant who worked for the same Ukrainian politician. Hit the brakes there. There will be Email communication between Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, and Tad Devine, a Democratic consultant who worked for the same Ukrainian politician. This is an example of media bias, latent media bias. If you read this article, you would never know that Tad Devine was at the time this was going on, not just working for a Ukrainian politician. He was also Bernie Sanders' chief political strategist. Bernie Sanders, chief political strategist. That's right. The communist who ran for president 
had a guy running his campaign who was taking money from the Russians, it appears, or at least working for a Ukrainian politician who was sympathetic to the Russians. Yeah, how about that? Huh, seems a little fishy. So we know that there, there's what, Tony Podesta, who's John Podesta's brother, also had ties to Manafort. Tad Devine had ties to Manafort. You, you got Manafort. Do, 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 you see, do you see what's happening here? This is not a, hey, let's coordinate with the Trump campaign. This is a, hey, let's try to influence the American elections. And the way we're going to make sure we're successful one way or the other is we're going to play the odds and go in every direction and try to get them all. That's what this is. It's exactly what this is. That's not being picked up in the media. I mean, you got a story from the Washington Post today does not mention Bernie Sanders at all in this piece. And they'll say, well, this was about this was about Mueller, Manafort and Mueller. It wasn't about that. Divine. It should be. I mean, alarm bells should be going off within the Democratic Party right now. There was a coordinated effort by Russian intelligence operatives to influence the election in 2016. Period. There was no coordinated effort by the Russians to steal the election for Donald Trump. There was no coordinated effort. There was no collusion. There was the Russians trying to get us to fight amongst ourselves, and it worked brilliantly. I mean, the Democrats have built an entire mythology now around the idea that Hillary Clinton was a martyr victim of the Russians, that Hillary Clinton would be president, but for the Russians. Hillary Clinton would probably be president, but for her avoiding Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania, the three states that Donald Trump won that people didn't expect him to win. It's really hard to try to get someone, say, the Russians, to try to come up with a political campaign that can map out the Electoral College and anticipate where votes would be needed. It's, it's pretty damn impossible to do that. It's the brilliance of our system. But it's not hard for a Democratic candidate to have a pollster to say, hey, you know, you really should go try to connect with those white voters in southern Wisconsin and Michigan and western Pennsylvania. Like Bill Clinton, who knew it at a gut level because he's, whether you like him or not, a great politician. But they can't admit that. They, they can't admit they screwed. They can't admit Hillary Clinton was a bad candidate. So they've got to blame the Russians. And today we're seeing, actually, the Russians, they weren't out to get it for Trump. They were out to get us all. And they hired a bunch of corrupt political consultants in the United States to do it. Let me take a quick time out to thank this week's sponsor, ExpressVPN. Now, you may not need a VPN. I do for my work, and I've been trying to find a good one that isn't going to break the bank, and it's sometimes very difficult and it's hard to set up. For those of you who don't know what a VPN is, a virtual private network, uh, it lets you privately and securely use the internet at fast speeds without being tracked by anyone. Oftentimes, you have companies that require you to have a VPN into their um, system, and you just, you, sometimes you need them so you can't be tracked. With all the news coming out about data hacks and breaches, it's hard for me not to be worried about my digital privacy. No matter what you do online, your mobile carrier, internet service providers, they're tracking you. Doesn't matter what your cable company is or your phone company, wherever you're getting your internet from, you're probably being tracked. With ExpressVPN, your internet data is encrypted. Your IP address is hidden. ExpressVPN covers less than 7 bucks a month. 
It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and dozens of expert reviewers. It has easy-to-use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Yes, you can use them on your phone and tablet. If you're on unsecure Wi-Fi and you want to keep hackers and spies from seeing your data, ExpressVPN is for you. Now, to take back your internet privacy today, to find out how you can get three free months, go to expressvpn.com slash Eric. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. Every day you use the internet without ExpressVPN, you're putting sensitive information at risk. So don't put this off. Protect your online data with ExpressVPN today. Visit expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. It's me, it's me. It's 26 after the hour. The phone number 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Now, do I have time to take... I do have time to take phone calls. I'm going to go first to Josh from Athens. Thanks for being patient, Josh. Hey, how you doing, Eric? Good, how are you? Doing good. Quick question for you. How is it Robert Mueller knows that 12 Russians actually did anything when the FBI or nobody else has seen the DNC server or Hillary's? Well, do we know that the Mueller investigators haven't seen that server? True. But I will tell you a server that they have inspected physically. It's a server in Arizona that was being rented by the Russian intelligence service. And... At first, the Russians were physically accessing the server, so they were present. So we actually know who these people are. And guess what was on that server? Information from the DNC and information from Hillary Clinton's campaign. So a server that was being rented by Russian intelligence operatives who were physically going to Arizona to look at the contents on the server before they set up a second server that the information was routed to, that second server being in Russia. Um, We have a pretty good idea that they did. But how do we know that uh, the Mueller investigators haven't actually seen the DNC stuff yet? Uh, we don't, because uh, believe it or not, they're actually pretty good at not leaking on the Mueller campaign or Mueller investigation. Most of the leaks have come from, if not all the leaks, have come from people closer to the White House and the, and the president's campaign staff than from the Mueller investigators. And we, you, you don't have to believe me there. Even the Trump folks, uh, the president's own lawyer, have conceded that fact, has conceded that fact. Um, so, yeah, we don't know what all the Mueller team has actually physically laid their hands on, uh, but we do know they physically laid their hands on a server from Arizona that Russians touched. Turned on the microphone and the whole thing collapsed on me. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here. 404-872-0750, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Uh, Richard in Buford, you are going to be next tonight. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Eric? I'm great. Um, I have, for, before I get to George Soros, I would love for you to start repeating that message about how stupid the Democrats thought we were, that we didn't understand the complexities of Obamacare, and that's how they were able to do the past. But that's another night. 
All right. Since you're on, <laughs> since you're on Russia, I'm tired of Russia, Russia, Russia. Um, George Soros didn't hack the uh, the voter registration machines, but he certainly has had an impact on trying to get Hillary elected, much like anybody else has tried to get Trump. Why aren't they going after George? Well, one of the reasons they're not going after George is he has funded a lot of outside groups. And it is those outside groups that he is not he's not on the boards and he's not directly involved in them. And it's those outside groups that do everything. Soros doesn't actually do stuff. He funds those things. Uh, and once he gives that money to the organization that does those things, uh, he is no longer culpable under American law unless they can prove he directly ordered uh, bad things to happen through those organizations. And it, no one has yet come forward with any evidence of that. So he, he's got a degree of, of protection from civil and criminal liability because he's not actually in charge of the organizations that do the things that you and I don't like. Uh, he is very good at directing money to left-wing organizations. And frankly, um, there are a lot of organizations out there on the left, some on the right, a lot on the left, where you the intentions are explicit and known. You don't have to say, do this, because they, they know what they're getting the money for. But there's no writing, there's no statements saying uh, X, Y, and Z. Um, so that's why. Uh, he is very good at spending money to help uh, the left, except is he really that good? Hillary lost, and the Democrats lost a whole lot in 2010-12. I mean, honestly, when you think about it, since 2008, the only major win the Democrats have had is, is the presidency. They've lost Congress. They've lost state houses. They've lost state, state senates. They've lost governor's mansions. They've lost county commissions. They've lost city councils. Uh, they just kept losing and losing and losing and losing. The Republicans are the majority party at the state level in this country. 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. Jim and Marietta, welcome. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. So a, lo a lot seems to be being made about the Trump endorsement of Brian Kent, or Kemp, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the weight of Governor Deal's endorsement of Casey Cagle. He would have worked with Brian Kemp. He would obviously work closely with Casey Cagle, and being the chief executive of the state of Georgia, don't you think that endorsement should perhaps carry more weight if people I, look, are assessing I, the candidates? I'm of the position that most endorsements don't carry any weight, um, and the you know I, I've already talked to a couple of people, not even not anywhere near affiliated with the Kemp campaign, and, and they're wondering about the governor's endorsement because he was so insistent. He wouldn't endorse. Um, was there something going on at the staff level? As, as someone said, that they get the sense from talking to folks in that office that this was a, a, a jobs endorsement, a protect the jobs of the governor's staff, um, keeping them on on the Cagle campaign. They, they don't have any evidence of that. And, and they're not uh, Kemp people, by the way. They're just political consultants in the state and political strategists and whatnot because uh, the governor had been very insistent he wasn't going to endorse. Here, here's the problem, though, uh, with this endorsement uh, versus President Trump's endorsement. And that is, according to multiple polls out there, including the AJC poll, a majority of undecided voters in this state in the who are going to vote the Republican runoff were not waiting to see who Nathan Deal would endorse. They were waiting to see who Donald Trump would endorse. And they wanted to vote for the guy Donald Trump liked. And so people were waiting until the last minute. There's a large number of undecided voters who would not vote early voting because they wanted to see who the president wanted to support. And now that the president has cast his support, they're going to the last minute early voting and they're going on Election Day. 
uh, to vote for Kemp. And you've got a, a, now a consistency in all of the polls that show a momentum towards Brian Kemp. You also have the Cagle campaign, attack, attack, attack. When we were in our last commercial break, there was an attack from, from Casey Cagle. It was the same radio ad that Brian Kemp isn't Trumpy enough, that that uh, Casey Cagle is the real Trump candidate, and, and he's the guy that, that uh, would stand up for Donald Trump, and on and on and on, and... I mean, how can you play keep running that ad when the president's endorsed the other guy? And I had totally forgotten he was a Jeb Bush supporter, um, which there's, I'm perfectly fine with Jeb Bush. But it's really a hard pill to swallow to say you're going to be the Trumpiest of the Trump candidates when you endorse Jeb Bush. It is 54 after the hour. Um, we don't have time to take a phone call. I, I have been asked to promote to the next hour. Um, Mark Aram will be back next week, but I am told that in the next hour, um, you're actually, they're, they're bringing in a doctor to do a discussion about yeast infections, jock itch, athlete's foot, and other things that grow in your body from parasites to, to fungal to bacterial infections, uh, which will be fascinating, kind of a, a medical show. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nope. Nope. They're they're not doing that. They're well, I, I can't tell you what they're talking about. They're they're talking about parental controls, um, Viagra and whatnot. Um so stay tuned for the the, the next titillating episode of the Mark Aram show. Um <laughs> okay, now uh, we got to get back into other stories of the night, including this New York Times story, a Democratic blue wave. Don't forget the Republicans' big hill. And, you know, they they note that there are only nine Republicans. The, the Democrats need 23 seats to take back the House. And there are only nine Republicans that are in congressional seats that are majority Democrats. I mean, the Republicans have shifted around the nation. People don't understand. And, and you can say gerrymandering all you want. The reason Republicans are able to gerrymander for the last decade is because of the 2010 election where they won so big they controlled all the state houses. It could happen to the Democrats in 2020. I mean, even the Supreme Court has said, uh, no, we're, we're going to stay away from these gerrymandering cases. Uh, these these things are cyclical. What comes around goes goes around. The Republicans are benefiting right now from solid gerrymandering that helps them. It wasn't always the case. And remember, Democrats never were concerned about gerrymandering. Uh, they held had the House of Representatives for 40 years in heavily gerrymandered districts, literally in Georgia in 2002. I actually ran a congressional race in the 11th congressional district at the time. Uh, we made it to a runoff and lost. But you could pole vault from one side of the congressional district to the other over another congressional district. That's how badly gerrymandered the districts were. And the Democrats were fine with it. The Democrats were totally fine with it. It was actually judges that threw out those districts. Um, because they essentially carved up black districts and, and gave them to white uh, politicians at the time. And the judges said, no, uh, you, you can't get rid of uh, minority-majority districts uh, because you will basically eradicate the number of black members in the House of Representatives at the time. That, that has worked to Republican favor, I should note, uh, by the Supreme Court precedents of having that. But Republicans now, they're in pretty secure form in the House and the Senate. And Democrats may only need 23 seats, but they're going to be a tough fight because many of them are in highly Republican areas. I, I still think they'll do it in the House, but I think the Republicans may gain seats in the Senate, which will be a good thing, particularly if 
God forbid something happens to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, at least the Republicans will be able to pick up one more seat on the Supreme Court. Now, coming up, a fun-filled, titillating episode of The Mark Aram Show. Your kids probably don't want to be around for this.